A note from Robert P. Rabbit, 4. You know, I'm amazed at how long it takes grown-ups to say anything. They can take the simplest of stories and make them twice as long as needed to get the point across. But I guess we have to tolerate it if we expect to get their attention to listen to what is important to us. Take, for instance, the breakfast table in the morning. You have been awakened entirely too early, told to hurry up and get dressed, maybe even had to make your bed, which is your mother's way of trying to keep you from going back to bed after breakfast. And then you are sitting at the table, and what you really want is one of the donuts that's on the plate across the room. But first you have to listen to how it's cold outside so you'll need your coat, and to watch out for the slippery sidewalk because it rained last night, and to be sure to feed the dog before you leave, and the fish when you come back home, and to not wake up the baby, and to brush your teeth after you eat, and so on and so on. Actually, all you want is a donut, but it might be lunchtime before you get the chance to ask for it. Chapter 4 The Big Issue I poured my coffee and continued the story. Dr. Robinson has been a very successful scientist in the study of rocks and elements. He has several patents on procedures for extracting oil from the ground that have made him very wealthy. What's a patent? asked Robert P. Rabbit, who had not been talking much as he was thoroughly enjoying his rutabaga. When someone invents something brand new and wants to be sure whoever makes it pays him some money for using the idea, the inventor applies to the government for what is called a patent. Then, if the government agrees the invention is new and unique and that nothing like it exists, the government gives a patent to the person who invented it, and after that, anyone who wants to use that idea must pay the inventor. Anyway, I went on, Dr. Robinson was sitting in his office two weeks ago when a visitor came to see him. The visitor was the spitting image of one of the students who had worked in the lab on the Apollo moon project 46 years ago, Myron Woodard. So he thought the visitor must be Myron's son. When the visitor introduced himself as Myron Woodard, Dr. Robinson said, Of course, I used to have a student by that name. He must have named you after himself. No, the man answered, I am your former student. Dr. Robinson told him, But you can't be more than 35 years old, and Myron would be over 70 by now. Dr. Robinson took the visitor's fingerprints and discovered that he was, in fact, the student who had worked with him many years ago. There could be no doubt about it, as no two people ever have the same fingerprints. The explanation Myron Woodard gave him was that he didn't understand why he wasn't aging as fast as other people. So he had gone to work with a big pharmacy company in Delaware, called the Draconian Drug Company, which was trying to develop drugs that could stop everyone from aging. When they noticed that Myron wasn't aging at all, a team of scientists tried to find out why, but none of them could figure out anything different about his life, until Myron told them about the vapor that he had breathed in the Apollo Moon Project lab. They decided that must be the reason he was aging so slowly, so they set out to track down the other student who worked on the same project to see if he had aged as slowly as Myron. They found him in Oregon, living deep in the woods as a hermit. He had not been able to live with the fact that he was not aging, so after his wife died, he ran away to the woods to live alone. Okay, said Katie, that's really an interesting story, but how does that involve you? And why did Dr. Robinson come to Tallulah Falls to see you? Well, I continued, Myron Woodard had brought some men from the Draconian Drug Company to see if Dr. Robinson still had the ubidium. 
He told them yes, but when they offered him money to buy it, he told them he would have to get the ubidium from his safe deposit box at the bank and meet them in the morning. As he thought about it, though, he decided that he didn't need their money and didn't want to let go of the ubidium. The only other person with a key to that safe deposit box is his grandson. He thought that since ubidium was unlike anything on earth, his grandson might be able to make a name for himself by giving the ubidium to the scientific world to study someday. As it turns out, ubidium now has a greater value than he ever anticipated. Why does his grandson have the key? After Dr. Robinson's daughter and her husband died in a car crash, he raised his grandson like a son. The boy is his only surviving family. Now he tells me that his grandson is married and is working as a physician in a small African village in Kenya. He and his wife are missionaries and are dedicating their lives to helping children with serious physical problems and who otherwise could not receive the treatment they need. If Dr. Robinson can find a moon rock for his grandson, his grandson and his wife can put the two together, breathe the vapor, slow down their aging process, and live much longer as a young couple, doing their good work helping others for many more years to come. But the problem is Dr. Robinson has the ubidium, but he doesn't have a moon rock, and that is where I come into the picture. You remember I told you about what Larry Burkett did on the Apollo moon project. Yes, said Will. He monitored the vital signs of the astronauts. That's right, I said. And he became good friends with several of the astronauts, especially one who went to Larry's church. He and Larry would study the Bible together before and after the astronauts' trip to the moon. And one of the things all of the astronauts did when they walked on the moon was leave behind small items they had brought with them. Then they'd take moon rocks of equal weight home in exchange, which they gave to their family and friends when they came home. Larry's friend gave one of the rocks that he brought back to Larry. He later traded it for a moon rock brought back by Neil Armstrong, the first man who walked on the moon. Since the ones Neil Armstrong brought back came from a special area on the moon called the Sea of Tranquility. The rock Larry had is one of the rarest items on Earth, and a lot of people would like to have it. I guess the old man thinks you know where Larry's rock is, doesn't he? asked Katie. Yes, I answered, since Larry passed away and I am the attorney for his widow Judy. Dr. Robinson assumes that I either have the rock or know where it is. Well, do you? Will asked. I'll tell you the same thing I told the old man, and that is that Larry gave me a letter that contains the first in a series of clues as to where he hid the moon rock. Katie asked, but why would Larry hide it? I'm not exactly sure, Katie, but I suspect that Larry thought it would either be worth a lot of money or would be something that many people would want to have and he wanted to protect it in the best way he knew how. So you want us to help you follow the clues to find the moon rock? asked Katie. You've hit the nail on the head. Wow, can we see the letter? asked Will. I love following clues. Well, I haven't looked at it in over twelve years, I said. I just never gave it much thought all this time, but now I guess it might be really important. I'll tell you what. I'll go get a copy of the letter that I have in my study, and you three take it over to Dirt Man, and let's see what he has to say about it. You can tell him the whole story, and tell him to call me on my cell phone if he has any questions, I added. We sure will, Katie said. I guess that means the global detectives are back in business. I suppose so, I said with a smile. And as soon as they had a copy of the letter, off they went to see Dirt Man and what he would tell them would set them on an exciting and dangerous journey.